Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist.
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Maui in Hawaii at the Royal Lahaina. My next guest is a walking history. He's a walking historian. His family goes back to the turn of the last century and, uh, uh, and, and has seen all the changes that have happened, especially here in Maui. Uh, his name is George Freeland, but everybody calls him Kiyoki. Welcome, sir. Thank you. I mean, one of the things that I remember always seeing every time I got out of the airport here was the sugar mill with the steam coming out of the stacks. That steam is no longer coming out. That mill is closed. In fact, there's not a single operating sugar mill in the state of Hawaii now, right? That's correct. When did that happen and why? Well, the final sugar mill shut down this past December uh, 2016. But uh, when I got out of college, I went into the sugar industry, in the, and this was in the early 1960s. At that time, there were 23 sugar plantations throughout the state. And you worked at almost all of them, right? <laughs> no, I, I worked in, in seven of them, That's primarily a through a training program. But I worked permanently at Oahu Sugar on, uh, right outside of Pearl Harbor and Pioneer Mill right here in Lahaina. But in, in, in just in terms of the, the actual location, there's just so much history here. There's so many things that you can do just if you walk around. Oh, yeah. First of all, I'd like to point out that uh, Lahaina is going through several eras in time. Uh, first of all, there was a pre-contact period when only the natives lived here, and the white men didn't show up until 1778 when Captain Cook showed up. Uh, then there was a period of the monarchy, when King Kamehameha I uh, unified the islands after he conquered most of the different uh, tribes. Uh, this was in 1802. So the period of the monarchy uh, went on until 1893, which was the overthrow of the monarchy by primarily uh, businessmen and plantation business people. Uh, and, and it was not a, a violent overthrow as such, but the royalty lost their position. Now there's also the missionary period. The mission the Lahaina's got a whole bunch of first things. And uh, uh, for instance, uh, the reason why this happened is because the whalers came to Hawaii around the horn and whaled up in the Aleutians and came to Hawaii. And this happened before people went across the continent of the United States. So as a result, there's all kinds of first things that you'll find right here in Lahaina. And it's all about finding them and then telling those stories and making them relevant mm -hmm. to, what, to what you're seeing today. Of all the changes that you've seen, being on this, what's the most significant one for you that, that you've seen? It's, it's the, the tourist era. Uh, I grew up in a period of time known as the plantation era. And uh, changing from that to the tourist era is tremendous. For instance, Kanapali here, my first summer job was to plant coconut trees out here. Kaunapali did not have a single coconut tree when I first came to this plot of land. But look at it. You've got all kinds of coconut trees, but look at the hotels. Uh, Do they call them Kiyoki coconuts now? No, no. I'm no. just double checking. I didn't no. you know. No, <laughs> no I, I was just one of the, the guys out there. And, you know, 
We did this with, with cranes, backhoes, bulldozers, and uh, low boys. We, we brought trees from all over the island and stuck them in the ground over here. But what you're saying is the real change was the tourist issue. That's yeah. correct. That's correct. To this day. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's changed the economy. Oh, yeah. It went from agriculture to tourism. Very much so. And, but it's also crowding this island up tremendously. We've got all kinds of traffic problems that uh, you know, I grew up uh, going from Lahaina to Kahului. And uh, at that period of time, I'm talking when I was a little boy, uh, we'd pass maybe 25 cars going the opposite direction. Now you do that in two minutes. Uh, but that's, that's a huge change. Now, so a lot of these changes are great, but you get some of the things that you need to cope with uh, along with it. Exactly. But you're still here. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're not leaving. No. Uh, I live up country now. Um, uh, retired. I spent uh, 34 years in the sugar industry and then 18 years as executive director to the Lionel Restoration Foundation. So basically what you're doing, what you're saying to me is you're no longer planting coconuts, but you're eating them. <laughs> yes, of course I eat them. But <laughs> <laughs> But the point, you've had the, you've had the benefit of, uh, and the perspective of seeing all the change. Oh, yes. Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Madawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tokyo. On second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, spare, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Boston, Charleston, Dayton, Louisiana, Washington, Houston. Every time I come to Maui for the last, well, almost 30 years, there's, uh, there's one place I stop, and, it's, and you have to know how to get there. If you miss the light, you're never going to find it. And even if you make the light, you think you're going to be lost until you come over a hill, and all of a sudden, there it is. It's an amazing restaurant with an amazing proprietor, uh, one of the cutting-edge chefs in the Pacific, not to mention Hawaii, who was one of the original Hawaiian regional cuisine chefs, uh, and her name is Beverly Gannon, and the name of her restaurant, which most of my friends, I have to tell you, when I say, you got to go there, they go, oh, but it's such a long ride. It's like 40 minutes. I said, just go, and here's where you make the turn, and don't miss the turn. And they end up going back like every day. The name of the store is the Haile'i Miley General Store. Beverly Gannon, welcome. Aloha, Peter. You're all, nearly a 30-year anniversary coming up. Oh, my right? gosh. I know. I, you know, I started this when I was 18, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 30 years, October 14th, uh, 2018, 30 years. Wow. Now, I remember your background because when I was a correspondent for Newsweek, one of the things I covered was music. And one of the very first stories I wrote for Newsweek was a feature on Alice Cooper. Yeah. Alice Cooper uh, in those days, even today, managed by Shep Gordon. Who is the road manager? Well, my husband was the road manager on that. Yes. Um, and the producer and the director and all those crazy things that Alice Cooper did. That was Joe. Now, I met that guy who did all that for Alice Cooper. I was the road manager for Liza Minnelli for one of her, her uh, Liza with a Z tours in 1973. But who's counting? Yeah, really. <laughs> really. But you were also cooking. Well, I started cooking a little later. Yeah. I actually started cooking when we moved to Maui in 1980 when, um, you know, Joe brought me here for a vacation for a week. We stayed three. We moved. And I was sunning, funning, and started to cook. And I would go to the stores here, 
and find all these crazy ingredients that, that you couldn't I'd find anywhere seen. else. Well, I'd never seen before. I grew up in Texas. I lived in New York City for quite a long time, but I had never seen bok choy or wanbok or aku or you know fish. I mean, to be able to see a whole fish and buy a piece of that. So I started cooking, and I started cooking for all of Joe and Shep's friends, um, and people got to know my food, and. Then I started a little catering business. The little catering business got big, and uh, in 1988, uh, five minutes from my house, I opened Holy Miley General Store, which was in the middle of nowhere. You had to go through sugar, sugar cane, cane fields, fields, past some like old World War II Quonset huts, and off a two-lane highway that didn't have a left turn lane, and no cell phones back then, right? right. Where you could call and say, "I'm lost." Um, well, we've come up in stature now, where we actually have a marked left turn lane, a big sign in the middle of the highway that's a four-lane highway now that says Haliti Miley Road. Um, so we're not as out of the way as we used to be. And, and, and your restaurant really was the general store, wasn't it? It was, it was built in 1929 as the camp store for the Pineapple Company. So, you know, it was always servicing the neighborhood, you know, and then we came in and we still service the neighborhood, but then the day we opened, 150 people showed up and wanted to sit down and eat, and I had 30 chairs, and I was just a gourmet takeout food shop that everybody was questioning how long it would last because they went, this isn't going to last here. Who's going to come? But people came, and people now come from all over the islands, and, and I run into people when I travel now who, you know, I can be in France or Germany or Italy, and I run into somebody who goes, Oh, I've been to the general store, <laughs> yeah. so it's pretty cool. And by the way, not to name drop too many people, but when I walk in, I bump into people I see in Los Angeles, or I bump into people that I see in New York, or Oprah. Oh, absolutely. Oprah yeah. shows up. You know. Yeah, I mean, she she's, you know, from the time she moved here, she's been coming to the restaurant. So, um, But you know what? They come because it's a unique situation. It's an old store. We kept the feel of the old store. And bottom line is I am always going to, make sure that you walk out really happy and have the best meal you can possibly have with the most local ingredients that I can serve you. Um, I mean, we get produce and things from Oprah's farm, you know, so, uh, and we get, get it from the farm down the street. I have someone who just grows lettuce for me. But you see, now you can source everything. Exactly. Well, yeah, when we, that's why we started Hawaii Regional Cuisine, you know, 25, over 25 years ago was because we didn't have anything here and anything that was being grown here was being shipped away. So from that standpoint, what I've seen in 30 years is a dramatic difference in getting fresh product here. I mean, we can get, we get, you know, chickens and pigs and lamb and uh, it's pretty wonderful. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a for those of you who've heard the show before, you may have heard my next guest. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I actually grew up with this guy on Fire Island. His father was actually the, the local doctor on the island, and then he got smart and left us and moved to Hawaii. Um, we got smart, and I also stayed on Fire Island, so you, you'll figure out who's smarter. But the bottom line is I don't travel without this guy because he is the founder and director of Doctors on Call Urgent Care Clinics right here on Maui, but he's a great travel and tropical doctor. 
He even makes beach calls. Um, and in fact, we liked him so much when, when we were at NBC, he became our NBC doctor for the Olympics. Uh, but he never really left Maui. And I shall tell you this, his name, of course, is Dr. Norman Esten, but he actually packed for me. He's actually saved me so many times. He packs it in this little Altoids tin. He packs for me an emergency medical travel kit. And in that kit is everything I could ever conceivably need in an emergency on the road. The good news is I'm knocking on wood here. I've only had to use it once, but boy, did it help out. Um, I was in New Orleans. I had excruciating pain in my lower right back. Uh, I'm the son of a doctor, so I think I can self-diagnose. Uh, and I actually was right. And uh, he had for me enough, two, he had two painkillers, that was it. I had two pills for emergencies only, and I used them until I could get to the hospital, and that was when I had a kidney stone. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, especially for the women out there, guys, if you've ever ha had to pass a kidney stone, Trust me, it's about as close as you can get to giving birth. It is not easy. Uh, Norman Eston, thank you for coming. How's it, bro? Good to see you. Welcome back to Maui. See, I told you he moved to Maui. Uh, what's in my medical kit? Everything you need. We have 12 medicines, starting doses of all the medicines you're going to need when you travel. It's got uh, starting doses of two antibiotics uh, to take care of the common infections you might get exposed to. And as you know, when people travel... Sometimes they get an upset stomach, maybe a little dietary indiscretion. We've got medicines for heartburn, cramps, of course, some Teresta or Montezuma's Revenge, a little nausea. We've got a couple of pain pills. We've got a couple of things for allergic reactions. We have an eye ointment. We have something to help you sleep and something to help you if your nerves get too unhinged. And, and we have a little first aid kit in there. We've got a couple of Band-Aids, some first aid ointment, couple of needles to get slivers out, and we can be supplied with your favorite travel device, a tiny set of tweezers. Wow. And it works. Fantastic. It's all you need. It'll fit in an Altoids tin or a tiny little snack size Ziploc plastic baggie. But in the interest of full disclosure, make sure you get it from your personal physician so you are not violating any laws or prescription rules. And for who better to give you that than the person who understands your own personal medical history? Absolutely. And when you're on Maui here, forgetting the little Altoids little kit that you give me, which is, and by the way, that's not a commercial for Altoids. It just happens to be a convenient box. Um, what's the most prevalent problem you're called upon here to deal with for people who are visiting, who are on an island? I think it's uh, mostly ear, nose, and sinus problems. People fly with colds. Sometimes when they go up and down in airplanes, the ears and sinuses will get congested. And of course, people are on the water, in the water. They're snorkeling. They're diving. They may have trouble clearing their ears or you know, getting their sinuses unclogged. So it's mostly ear, nose, and throat, but they're easy to take care of. And the most serious stuff you get? Well, we'll see the same thing that happens when people aren't traveling. You know, they can have heart attacks, they can have strokes. Anything that can happen anywhere in the world can happen here. Although, you know, when people are on vacation, the rule book tends to go out the window. They don't take their meds. They're, they're just, they're on vacation. Yeah, it's funny, isn't that? And I'm the same way. It's amazing. We're all like that. Somehow we uh, get rid of some of those uh, controls when we're on vacation and need a break. And we may eat things we don't know or, well, we know aren't good for us and maybe drink a little bit too much as well. Okay, now, one of the things that comes up every summer, whether you're on the East Coast or here in, in, in Hawaii, mosquitoes. Absolutely. Now, mosquitoes are a real problem in the world. And in fact, most diseases in the world are probably spread through mosquitoes. And 
eventually in a few years we're probably going to be able to take care of that by uh, a very fascinating development in medicine which is uh, creating genetically modified mosquitoes that actually are not going to be able to transmit disease. That's a few years off but it's actually in the pipeline. In the meantime, the most important thing when you travel is to avoid getting bit by mosquitoes. Well, th thank you for that advice. That was the most brilliant thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> So, That's like saying avoid getting hit by a bus. Now, there's two ways to do that, as you know. The first thing is to make sure you've got some sort of protection against the physical mosquitoes, and that's some sort of repellent-treated clothing or netting or whatever. But the other is some kind of mosquito repellent. And the best one by far is DEET, D-E-E-T. Okay. And why? Well, one, uh, it's going to work against most mosquitoes. It's going to work against all the mosquitoes that carry the common viruses, which are um, the chikungunya and Zika and dengue, as well as West Nile. Um, it's going to last for a long time. It's not particularly toxic. It's easy to apply uh, and readily available. And if you go swimming, you've got to reapply it. You do have to, If you go swimming, you have to reapply it. But there's a form that it's available in that's exceptionally easy to travel with, and these are little wipes. Okay, so... The medicine that has the DEET that's in the single-dose wipes that's available in any pharmacy will last a lot longer than if you use it from a liquid bottle. Plus, you don't have to worry about it spilling or smelling or contamination of your luggage. Okay, so other than packing that, what's one more thing you need to pack? Aspirin. Really? Aspirin. Either aspirin or Tylenol. Common little medicine like that for a headache, a minor ache and pain. You'd be surprised how often you have something like that and you've got to look around for it. You're in a foreign country or something it may be hard to find. You want to take all the medicines with you. It's much easier to take whatever you need, even if it's common like that, rather than trying to find it. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio my next guest is probably one of the most published underwater photographers in the world. And he began diving and photographing underwater in 1976. He's still conscious. It's unbelievable. And he's, and he's been in Hawaii for the last 31 years. David Fleetham, how are you, man? I'm having a good day. Yeah, well, let's talk about it. When people come to, to Maui, um, you know, Hawaii has a certain aura to it. People want to get in the water. They want to get on the water. They want to get under the water. Uh, you've seen the changes. You've seen the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly. So tell me what's going on. Give me a status report, if you will, about, about underwater here in, in, in Maui. Well, in 30 years, I certainly have seen the number of creatures plummet. Although the reefs here are still hanging in, they're still doing well. But, uh, but definitely there's fewer fish in the ocean than there was here 30 years ago. And When you first jumped in 30 years ago, what did you see? Oh, I, I saw in places I saw just walls of sharks going by and uh, schools of hammerheads and reefs that were really just jam-packed with, uh, with fish. And then? And then shark finning happened, and uh, and long lining, and those those shark numbers just dramatically dropped. We were it was just all because of shark fin soup. All that ridiculous soup, yes. Now, thankfully, I know so many hotels overseas now, especially in Asia, uh, have banned it from their menu. So if there's no demand, the number of sharks being caught drops. Uh, 
Same yeah. thing here? Yeah, yeah. There's all worldwide, there's been a significant change. Just even in, uh, I think UPS does not even allow shark fins to be transported with them now. And, uh, and they're trying to get other couriers and airlines on board for that. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're working on it. Un unfortunately, the, uh, the numbers of sharks have just dropped so dramatically that, uh, that hopefully we can turn it around. How? Uh, by stopping the, the killing, basically. When you go on the water, I mean, you've, you've, you've gone underwater in Indonesia, the Red Sea, the Galapagos. What distinguishes Hawaii for you? Hawaii, I mean, has many unique things. It's located in the, the center of the largest ocean on our planet. And the water is so deep. At, outside the, the state, the water is very deep. Maui yeah. County, luckily, has uh, shallows in between the islands here, which is one of the reasons we get the most humpback whales in whale season come here, because of the, uh, the protected waters that we have. But uh, Hawaii is just unique because it's so isolated it took just millions and millions of years for the fish that are here to get here. The uh, fish travel or move about the ocean through currents. It's actually their young that are transported, and it's really difficult for them to get to Hawaii. The circle of the Pacific around the Hawaii, uh, the currents rarely get here, and that's how new species get here. Well, there are about 600 species of fish right here on the islands. Yes, yes, there are. And, and that, I mean, in comparison, Indonesia has like well over 3,000 species of fish. But the, the unique thing about the species that are here are a huge percentage of them are endemic, are found nowhere else in the world. So fish that made it here have evolved and become unique species. So there's fish here that you won't see anywhere else in the world. I want to talk about turtles, because every once in a while when I'm in the water, I see one right on the surface. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, and they're sunning. Yes, they're sunning, and they come up for a breath. Yeah. So, uh, so they breathe, and, and Hawaii, I mean, I do get to travel all over the world, and Hawaii is really unique for the, the turtle population that's here in that they seem to have grown accustomed to the fact that we're not going to eat them. And... Uh, and so they're, they're very calm around snorkelers and people. You can approach them, although they're still federally protected, so you, you can't touch them or harass you know, them. You bring up a very interesting point because in terms of behaviors, in the Galapagos, the nurse sharks are friendly. I mean, you, yes. you go right up to them. They don't, they don't startle. They don't attack. They're, they're used to you because they know you're not going to come after them. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Galapagos is an amazing place for that above and below the creatures that are there are uh, yeah just virtually ignore people but of course what they've had to do there is limit the number of people and the number of boats that can be out there at any one time specifically to maintain that opportunity to be have a species maintained i mean what's this, what's happening here uh here there's uh there's not I mean, there's nobody saying that uh, that we're going to limit the number of people that come to Hawaii. The opposite is happening, really. And so uh, that's part of the problem is just the numbers of people that uh, that are in the ocean. And, and so, so if you can't control the numbers, you just have to control the education. You have to let people know what they can and can't do. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is... The flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I would want my 
Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. When I first came to Hawaii, when I was a correspondent for Newsweek back in 1971, I met a garbage collector who had mastered something that most people have never heard about. Even today, most people don't even know about it. He was the master of the slack key guitar right here in Hawaii. His name was Gabby Pahanui. Uh, Sadly, he's passed away, but his tradition lives on. And one of the ways it lives on is through a guy who heard his music, I think, in Colorado uh, before you ever even came to Hawaii. And his name is Barry Flanagan. Uh, It's Nahoku music, isn't it? Actually, that's the name of the local awards. It's like the local Grammys are called the Nahoku Hanohano Awards, which means the glorious star. Right, but you're a slack-key guy. Um, I play a version of slack-key. Explain slack-key. Well, the guitars are brought here in the 1850s. Um, uh, They came in with the Spanish vaqueros who were brought in to teach the native Hawaiians how to handle the gift of cattle that was given to Hawaii. And uh, the the folklore story that everybody seems to agree with is that... um, after the guitars were left in the hands of the native Hawaiians, they started to retune the guitar to sound like two vaqueros. Ah. So that's why there's the bass going on at the same time. It does have a Spanish flavor to it, doesn't it? it? Does. Yeah. So the bass is alternating, almost like classical music a little bit. And how have you expanded on that? Um, I formed a group called Hapa in 1983, and that was really done thinking not about getting as much of the culture and the music out to the world as a touring group. A lot of it had to do with the language dying. There were less than 20 adolescents that spoke the Hawaiian language in 1983. There's over 26,000 speaking and understanding it today. Do you speak it? I speak a little of it. I speak more Tahitian than I do Hawaiian. How'd that happen? Um, I just ended up being befriended by a Tahitian man that moved here when I moved here, and I spent more time in his house, and he spoke to me more in Tahitian than Hawaiian. So, But part of your music is also to try to pre- preserve the culture. Without a doubt, the language. That's uh, that very first CD of ours. We were selling more local CDs here in Hawaii in 1992 to about 97, uh, with a million people here than Texas was with 28 million people. So there was a big big music scene and CD scene here when we released our stuff. And there's a Kenny Loggins connection. There's a big Kenny Loggins connection. He sings in Hawaiian on uh, the first record, which was really a lot of fun and really helped the record sell, obviously. Right, but you were also nominated for for a Grammy for what? Mm -hmm. For the first song uh, in the Hawaiian language with him, for more songs from Pooh Corner. It's been all about the language with me. That very first CD gave... uh, about $8,000 to Punanaleo, which is our Hawaiian immersion school, which is one of the reasons why the language came back. And is there a song you can play for me right now that, that, that basically exemplifies well, that? Well, it's so funny because I came in tune to Gabby's. I didn't know you had to you never knew I was going to say that, did so you? So I was going to play one song by me, but uh, it was Gabby's music with Ry Cooter that was the hook for me. Ry Cooter, uh, the award-winning American filmmaker, Buena Vista Social Club. Uh, recorded with Gabby. I don't know if you know that. You must. I, you know what? I know it now because yeah, you just told he me. he did. So he was on a record called The Best of the Gabby Band and also produced a record of Gabby's two sons after he passed away. But uh, Gabby played on uh, his record and he named it Chicken Skin Music. You know what Chicken Skin <laughs> is because you've been here. That's like your goose flesh when you hear something good. So Rai released a record with Gabby on it. And this is very, um, this is very typical. This is Gabby. <laughs> it's really funny you said that, but this is Gabby's sound. Mm-hmm. 
Kalave, Kapalohi mai ao mau kele. Kumakakai kena ohilave, Kapalohi mai. Nice. <laughs> I like the last note. That's it. That, thanks. That's his. Uh, that's what I mean about my own version of Slack Key. I do more Jeff Beck meets Slack Key. <laughs> I do a lot of tricks when I play Slack Key music, and it's not traditional. So the traditionalists go like this. You know, I, they, in all the years doing this show, I never heard about Jeff Beck meeting Slack Key. You know, every guitar player is a, is an amalgam. You know, is a tapestry. It's all derivative in some ways. Totally. So I mean, yeah. I bend my neck. I do. I do tricks when I play Slack Key, which is do, do that. Oh, do that again. Oh. Just funny thing. That's it. It's not having toys, I guess, when I was younger. You know, I just had a guitar <laughs> in my hand. So I just learned how to do a lot of different tricks. But when tourists visit Hawaii, mm -hmm. they're looking for traditional luau music. They're looking, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough to get them into this. But once they get into it, they love it. Oh, without a doubt, it becomes a soundtrack, uh, I think, once they, once they kind of get used to it. Our stuff, I mean, Kenny Loggins sang on the first record. Stephen Stills played on the first record. So it had that appeal. It was very pop-orientated Hawaiian CD. Right, and that's how you can get people into it. Totally. Where are you playing now? Uh, right now I'm on break for about three months, and uh, there's a place in Kihei that we're trying to get going for, for live music called Nalus. It's called N-A-L-U-S over in Kihei on the south side. So I'm doing a dinner show over there on Fridays. I live in Honolulu, so I fly over here for that. Oh, a commuter. A commuter. You would love that. <laughs> yeah, right. You have a much shorter commute than I do. I know. I have how many miles. I'm jealous. Is there one song among all the other songs that exemplifies what we're talking about? That one that I just played, Hi'ilabe, is that's basically known as Gabby's theme song. And that strum is that backyard strum. I mean, Gabby, that st story about him uh, being the garbage collector, I actually knew an, an elderly woman that's very well respected in Hawaiian culture, uh, Auntie Lydia Maioho, and Gabby used to stay at her house and used to get woke up at 4.30 in the morning by the garbage trucks. <laughs> and he'd be running down the street, jumping on the back of the truck and waving goodbye to her. It really brought back memories because I'd forgotten about that story. Who's teaching that today? Who's teaching Slack Key? Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I don't really think you can go anywhere to learn it. But all of the guys, the masters, George Kuo, um, I could name probably five, Keola Beamer. Any, I'm sure any time they're asked... They're asked by anyone. They teach one-on-one. -on -one. I don't really hear too much about classes, but I may be wrong. You could always Google Slacky classes. Is that the answer to everything, Google? <laughs> Google it and see. <laughs> Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. Come fly with me, let's float down It's a theme Peru. we've talked about on the show before, from other distant locations around the world, but it's no less important here in Maui. And that is, I don't think it's arguable whether or not Maui is beautiful, it is. Whether it's special, it is. Whether it's luscious and green, it is. Whether it's an amazing place to come and visit and work and live on all three levels, it is. But the question that is now being asked in Maui and many places around the world that are so popular is, is it possible to be loved too much? Can it be over-touristed? And joining me now, the executive director of a, of a nonprofit group called Maui Tomorrow, Albert Perez. How are you, sir? 
Good morning, aloha. And aloha. So you heard my introduction, and you heard my question. Mm-hmm. Is there an answer? Can it be loved too much? Oh, absolutely. I think that's being proven around the world in many cities, as you probably know better than I do. I've only seen what I've seen here and in a couple of cities, but uh, clearly we're not managing our resources, um, which are the most important part of, of what makes our tourist industry possible. And in a way, you, ha- you have a challenge, uh, both from the private sector and the government and from the visitors. So it's, a, it's actually a three-part challenge to first educate and then implement. And how's that going? Well, it's been a challenge. We've been trying to educate uh, since 1989 when we started. And the reason we got... Because you saw it back then. You saw we it did. starting. We did. So our predecessor was a group called State Park at McKenna. And if you've been down to McKenna, there's a place called Big Beach. That was supposed to be developed into condos. So now instead, as a result of citizen action, we have a 300-acre state park, and it's been preserved. So so you're, you're winning a few battles. We win occasionally. We've won some really big battles. I mean, I, you know, I go back to the idea that if, if, eco- if the economic engine here is driven by tourism, you're sort of fighting an uphill battle because without that, that influx of, of money and resource and growth and structure, you don't have an economy. So you're always fighting that battle with people saying, but wait, if we build this you know, new 300-room hotel, we're going to provide all these jobs. But there's a flip side of that story, isn't there? Absolutely. But that's one of the reasons why we've always encouraged diversification. And back in, I would say, 1990, we were calling for a hotel moratorium. Because tourism was the drug that cured the ailing agricultural economy back then. And it helped. It really helped. No doubt about it. Right. So it it helped Maui to recover from this downhill slide that it was in. But the drug uh, became an addiction. And so it's just been too much. But you never got the moratorium. There actually was a six-month hotel moratorium. <laughs> well, what does that mean? <laughs> Not much in the context of 20, 30 years. Right. But what happened during that six months? I mean, was there any, could they actually see a change or, or it was just sort of like meaningless? I don't think it had any meaning because it, you know, this was just granting new permits. So uh, there were already things under construction. And anyway, six months is not very long. All right. So what, you know, can you be an optimist in your job? Can you actually see, yes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We can actually make a change? Absolutely. I think the change is already occurring. And, you know, I've been talking about it for a long time, but just recently I came across a hashtag uh, called Overtourism. And so I did a little research on that. And there's an organization called the Responsible Tourism Partnership. Are you familiar with that? I'm not sure. I'm about to be. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and there are lots of cities around the world that are members of this. Um, and their objective is to use tourism to make places better to live in and visit. So you're preserving what's special that makes people want to come without destroying it. And you've been here how long? I've been here uh, off and on. I grew up on Oahu. So, so you're, you're more or less a local guy. I mean, I'm pretty much a local guy. I have lived elsewhere. Well, look, let's take a look at Oahu for a second because that's the most populated it's the one that was developed first. It was, it, it was the original gateway city when United Airlines started flying here and everybody else started coming in. You saw all those changes. What lessons can you learn from that that you can apply here? Um, that we should 
look at Oahu and, and see what can happen. Everybody here that I talk to says we don't want to become like Oahu, but the decisions that our government keeps making are permitting new things, uh, and there's just a lot of development that's happening. Now, to be fair, you're not opposed to growth. You just want to make it sensible growth. I think that, uh, you know, we have to grow, but we don't definitely have to encourage excess of growth, which is what I think we're doing. I mean, when you first came here, traffic wasn't that bad. Traffic? There yeah. wasn't even a traffic light in Paia. And now? There's a traffic light, and there's miles of traffic going into Paia. So here's the deal for, for those people listening to the show who are thinking of coming to Maui. Get involved. Be a part of the solution. You have a website? We do. It's Maui-Tomorrow.org. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? When you think about the traditional products of Hawaii, it almost gets into like a stereotypical image of sugarcane or pineapple or let's go wild macadamia nuts. Um, and then there's coffee. Well, sugarcane is down. Pineapple is no longer really being grown here. It's been basically outsourced to the Philippines. They closed the sugarcane mills. Uh, that leaves macadamia nuts and coffee. And my next guest knows a little bit about both, but he really knows about the coffee. It's James Kimo Falconer. He's the president of Maui Grown Coffee Distributors. He's a fifth generation line of resident. That's saying something right there. Kimo, when people talk about Kona coffee, I mean, there's a certain myth to it. There's a certain romance to it. Uh, but it goes back how many years? Uh, Kona coffee has been around for, I mean, 150 years or more. Um, but we're growing coffee here in Maui, so Maui makes a different distinction. It's a different origin other than Kona. So there's a little bit difference between the two, but uh, that's when coffee actually started was in Kona. Well, is it the altitude? Is it the, uh, is it the humidity? It's all of them. Um, it's the varieties. Um, we grow coffee at a lower elevation. Uh, Kona's more uh, traditionally higher, a uh, little more rainfall, higher in the clouds, soil type. It's actually a lot of differences, actually. So we're talking about big difference between that and, say, what we grow here. You came to work in the sugar industry. That's correct. I uh, worked in the sugar industry almost 20 years as the agronomist for um, a Piner Mill Sugar Company here in Lahaina. Uh, that's, that's the mill they closed. That's one of them. I mean, they just closed the last one here in Hawaii just uh, earlier this year. The last sugar plantation shut down in January of this year. So, um, yeah, so I started doing that. And then ag research that took me into coffee where I started doing some uh, t trials the, uh, in co uh, concert with the uh, University of Hawaii. Uh, and uh, that's how it all began. We started growing out different varieties here. So you entered it from a scientific perspective. Absolutely, yeah. So um, we got the green light from... Uh, you know, the ivory tower of uh, Amfac at the time, who was the owner of the, uh, of the, the old sugar plantations, um, and did a lot of work with it, and here we are today. Was, ended up planting about 500 acres, and uh, the story got pretty interesting along the way there. So, It's a sustainable crop. It is actually quite, a, quite sustainable. I think, you know, uh, if you look at everybody all com always complains, you turn around left, right, here's a Starbucks, right? So... 
uh, emerging economies. Uh, well, it's got to be a little bit ironic that you're growing coffee here and there's a Starbucks. <laughs> there's a Starbucks everywhere you look. Um, They're not buying their coffee from you. Uh, no, I have had. Uh, I, I used to. I, Star, they have a program called the Star Reserve Program. If you go to Seattle, they have this amazing store there that's uh, based on all these private store uh, farms all over the all over the world, and they feature just these special coffees. And we were one of those coffees. We were the very one of the ver first twelve uh, farms to be in that program. So you can actually go into a Starbucks in Maui, and and get your coffee. That's a trick now. So it's like to get a Star Reserve, you have to go to a Star Reserve store, and they don't have one in the entire state of Hawaii. So basically, if you're going to get your coffee here, you don't go to Starbucks. You just get it and go home. Yeah, you just go. Our, we can go to our store. You can anything that says Maui on this on the bag itself, even if it's in uh, uh, Whole Foods or if it's in uh, Costco, that came from our farm. But is that like the Champagne region in France? You can only say Champagne if you're in France. That's correct, and some to some degree, right? Um, yeah, to say the word Maui, it has to have certain certain amount of Maui coffee, and it has to be uh, meet certain standards to to have that word on there. Are you guys doing tours? We were doing tours. Um, what happened? Was there an incident? Well, we're, there's an insect that uh, that started over in Kona. It's actually a worldwide coffee insect, and it uh, showed up in uh, Kona about uh, 2010. We don't have it at our farm yet, but it is on Maui. And so we're trying to stop the spread of it. It's going to happen at some point, but um, just be, the fact that it moves by hitchhiking, that's how it jumps on people's uh, clothing or, you know, on, on bags or whatever it is, tractors, uh, that's how it moves around. So basically, go buy the coffee, but don't come see you. Yeah, well, yeah, we got a place that's three miles away you can go to and enjoy, enjoy our coffee at the store. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.